Welcome to Defining Dad Bod, where my dad, Coach Alex Van Houten, posts his 14 years of experience to work for you. You should listen to him. Here's Pity Beast Mode. Who knows who we could be if we could become 1% better every single day? What's up, guys? This is Alex Van Houten with Defining DadBot. I hope you're doing super well. You're listening to Season 3, Episode 49 of Defining DadBot, where we're talking about growing muscle. This episode's been brought to you by the Better Daily app. In fact, this workshop was recorded live in the Better Daily app for our Better Daily community. And the awesome questions you hear asked throughout the workshop were asked by our live attendees. Get support for your betterment journey and join our community at definingdadbod.com slash betterdaily. Use code DADBOD, D-A-D-B-O-D, all caps, to get 25% off your subscription. That's definingdadbod.com slash betterdaily. This workshop was an awesome one because I've spoken a lot on the show about training rather than exercising. And I've also talked about how particular types of exercise create adaptations like hypertrophy or strength. But I've never spent one hour on just the subject of growing muscle, at least not on the show. And so get excited. This show is not just for the muscle heads in the world either. It turns out that growing muscle has a lot of very important implications for longevity and chronic disease risks. Since we're all fighting the clock, this is one you're going to want to listen in on. Before we get there, here's your food for thought. My food for thought for you today actually comes from the Bible. Right now I'm leading a men's Bible study through the men in the Bible. And this coming week, we're going to be on Joshua. So I'm going back through the story of Joshua, and I ran across a verse I'd never noticed before. Most people have heard Joshua's commission, be strong and courageous, and some might even be familiar with the conquests that make up much of the book of Joshua. But right smack dab in the middle, a man named Caleb comes before Joshua and says something interesting. You see, 40 years ago, Caleb did something special for Moses by spying out the promised land and maintaining faithfulness in himself and his family. And while I'm sure there's a whole sermon tied up in that all by itself, he says to Joshua, I'm over 80 years old, but I'm just as strong today as I was then. I'm strong in body, ready for war, and for comings and goings. And that first kind of set me on my heels. You see, not only were these words written two or three thousand years ago, but the idea of pursuing health and fitness had never even been conceived of at that point. So your food for thought for you today is this. What would it mean in your life to 10 years from now, 20 years from now, or even 30 years from now, to be able to look back on your life and say, I'm just as strong now as I was then. I've heard of the Creator's Diet, and I've heard of the Daniel Plan, but I've never heard of the Caleb Fitness Regimen. All jokes aside, all jokes aside, I want to make that a thing. I said a couple episodes ago, in relationship to aging and cognitive decline, that just because we can't escape getting older, doesn't mean we have to surrender to falling apart. Personally, I want to be just like Caleb when I grow up. What about you? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Shoot me a message at CoachAl at DefiningDadBod.com. That's your food for thought today. I hope it gives you something to munch on. Speaking of strength at no matter what age, let's dive in to growing muscle.
What's up, guys? This is Alex Van Houten with Better Daily. I'm super excited about our conversation tonight. Tonight's workshop is on growing muscle. We're going to be talking about the why, how, and what of hypertrophy training. So if you're joining us in the Zoom, thank you so much for joining me. I'm really looking forward to your questions as they come up tonight. And if you're joining us in the Better Daily app, thank you for joining us there as well. When I ask questions, I'll look up to you and see if you've dropped a comment that I can respond to. So it's going to be a good evening. There's a lot I can talk about with regard to growing muscle. This is this is an entire set of volumes worth of work that we're trying to pack into one workshop this evening. So of all the things that I can talk about, the most important thing to me is that night is practical and powerful for you in your program. So if I say something that you're like, man, I really want to drill down on that, write it down, and then I'll open it up for questions about two or three times throughout this, this workshop. So here we go. First, our agenda. This will be an hour and a half. Hopefully that last 20 minutes is there is just your questions. I'm going to try not to talk too fast, but I also want to make sure that I get through this material because it's all uber important if your goal is to grow muscle. So we've got our group updates. I'm going to talk a little bit about app upgrades and Faithful 40 Challenge progress. Not very long on that, just a couple minutes. But since you're here, I want you to hear about them. Then we're going to talk about the why. Hypertrophy is not just for the meatheads. Hypertrophy hyper overtrophy growth, growth of muscle tissues, not just the meatheads. We're going to talk about what muscle growth is and why we do it. Then we're going to talk about the how exercise actually triggers muscle growth. And then we're going to talk about the what, how to train, eat and grow. LBM is lean body mass in trainer speak. So if, if I say LBM tonight, you're going to, uh, <laughs> just know LBM lean body mass got it and then sample program and some questions so we've got a lot to dive into this evening so first just a couple app updates uh, there are a few of you who have submitted requests to me about different features and whatnot in the application and they have been heated we've been hanging out with the developer and getting those things kind of hashed out so request please shoot me an email or a message in the group and we can make those things happen just takes a little time and apple and android both have to approve those changes and so you know that's a it's a big moving ship with a small rudder but we can get there with a little help um now from the faithful 40 perspective thank you guys for being engaged and for encouraging and high-fiving and whatnot. And if you haven't been, it's not too late. We've got 18 more days to go in the Faithful 40 Challenge in journaling our mindset, nutrition, and exercise. And shout out to those of you who in your exercise plans have been saying things like, it's back day today, or I'm on the gain train, baby. That is what we're talking about tonight, is the hypertrophy piece of training. So if you're in that place with me, uh, kudos to you. And I'm excited to talk about that stuff tonight. So let's see. From the group, these were some burning questions slash struggles that were submitted because the, the workshop was on the calendar. And so here those are. Again, if you have questions, that's the reason you're attending a live. So if you have them, drop them. But muscle struggles or burning questions. From our group, we've had, what are the best foods to eat when growing muscle? You can't believe how many times I've had that question asked. We're going to talk about uh, post-workout carbohydrates and whatnot later, so that'll be good. What exercises are best? So we are going to talk about programming this evening. I'm going to show you a sample mesocycle that's you know Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's a, a cycle of, of a week. And then we're also going to talk about the place of compound exercises versus ice 
isolate exercises. So that'll be good. We'll talk about uh, does cardio burn muscle? Uh, great question. If you're trying to trying to grow muscle tissue, should you be doing cardio or not? We're going to talk about that. And then I had somebody say, I gain weight when I lift weights. I'm trying to lose weight. What gives, man? And so we'll talk about the role of weight training in a weight loss program, if that's something on your docket as well. So again, as, as those questions rise in the group, then we will dive into them. And since I have some of you guys live, if you want to go ahead and, and tell me a question that you've got or drop a question you've got uh, before we get to them, I'm happy to do that. So questions from the group before we even get going here that you'd like to add to our list. I've, I've opened up the cameras. We've got muted people, some with great looking faces, by the way. Y'all look wonderful. <laughs> Any questions out there? No, pretty much covers it. We're thumbs up. If you've got a camera on, thumbs up. Okay, cool. Love it. No questions thus far. Don't worry. We will get there. <laughs> this is going to be great. So why grow muscle? You know, the, the why of muscle is actually really important to me because as a personal trainer in, of like 15 years now, is that how old I am? Yeah, 15 years. We're going on. This is my 15th year. So as a personal trainer, when I say, what are your goals? Most people's goals when they first come to a personal trainer is I would like to lose fat and or grow muscle. Like it's some combination of those things. Like that's, that's how exercise is generally perceived in the world. And that's fine. You know, growing muscles, the, the topic of our conversation this evening, but it's interesting that the longer I work with a client, you know, when they start with that initial goal, the more benefits they see across the board when they lose fat and grow muscle. And so why grow muscle? Well, tonight we're going to talk about several of these things, but here are some highlights. And again, I'll, I'll come back to these at the end of the workshop just to re-highlight them. But muscle growth combats age-related sarcopenia. So if you're not familiar with sarcopenia, sarcopenia is just a really fancy way of saying, as we get older, we lose muscle. And that has significant detrimental effects on the rest of our body that can destroy our joints and increase joint degradation over time because there's nothing to hold those things stable. That's something I particularly am interested in because with Ehlers-Danlos, my tendons and my ligaments, two of the three things that are supposed to hold my body together well, they don't do their job very well. And so my muscle has to make up for the job that they're doing. And every year we get older after our prime is another year that our body is going to shed a little bit more muscle on, you know, on a natural scale, unless you work hard to keep it around. So age-related sarcopenia is extremely important. If you are over, for men over age 22, for ladies over age 18, then this is something that you wrestle with, period. You will lose muscle if you don't work hard to grow it and maintain it. So age-related sarcopenia, big why. Uh, healthy metabolic activity. So we're going to talk a little bit about the, the role of, of growing muscle and weight loss, but healthy metabolic activity is an important aspect of growing muscle. Basically, a simple foundational reason, the more muscle you have, the higher your metabolic rate is, the more energy you will have to do things. Carbohydrate tolerance is another thing that, that kind of goes along with this healthy metabolic activity thing. The more muscle you have, the more insulin sensitive your body will be. The better ability your body has to respond to carbohydrate intake. I've said to my clients, and this is kind of 
oversimplified, but, but it, it makes the point. The more muscle you have, the less likely it is that the cupcakes you eat will end up on your love handles. Instead, they'll be used as fuel, right? You, if you're quadzilla, you've got some nice quads, you got some good looking hamstrings and stuff, you've, you've worked them hard. Those leg muscles are gonna use the heck out of some carbohydrates. And so the carbohydrates you eat are more likely to actually be used as fuel rather than stored as fat. So carbohydrate tolerance is extremely important. And this is also something that goes to account in uh, both type one and type two diabetes. Those who are not just insulin resistant, but perhaps have insulin dysregulation, more muscle tissue can be helpful on that front. And then we've got the, you know, kind of duh things, the athletic pieces, strength, power, agility, endurance, the more muscle you have, the more likely you'll be to be able to teach it to be strong, to be powerful, to be agile, to be endurable. If you lose your muscle tissue as you get older and you try to do some of these athletic things without the muscle available to do them well, then you're gonna be in a rough spot. Now that doesn't mean you have to be huge and built like a Belgian blue cow, which doesn't weight train by the way. So Google Belgian blue and you'll see what the genetic, <laughs> the genetic effects on hypertrophy can be without weight training. But you don't have to be built like a Belgian blue in order to be powerful or agile endurance or endurable or strong, but you do need to have at least a base level of muscle tissue in order to deal with the shock of gravity on your joints in your body. And then joint and bone degradation. I talked about this a little bit with regard to age-related sarcopenia. The more muscle tissue you have, the less likely it is that you're going to take the shock of gravity in your joints. So a good example would be the soleus. If you look at your lower leg, your calf muscle, you have your gastrocnemius and your soleus. Some people think of it, some people, my, my academy students used to call it the ice cream and the ice cream cone. So the ice cream scoop on the top, that's your gastrocnemius, two big bulging things on the top there. And then the, the ice cream cone under it, that's the soleus. If you don't have very much soleus muscle, then what's going to happen is the soleus can't do its job very well. And the soleus's job is to reduce the impact of gravity on your ankles and knees when you, when you walk or run. So if you're walking or running and your soleus is poorly developed, then what happens over time is you end up with more damage to your ankles, your knees, your hips, your lower back, because you know, you got crummy calves. So we need to fix that, right? And, and that's true across your entire body. That's true for your shoulders and true for your elbows and true for your wrists and all of the other fun joints that make up your body. And so a good amount of muscle tissue is helpful to keep that joint and bone degradation down. Now, there are some people who take this a little too far. They grow so much muscle tissue so fast or without enough recovery that their tendons and ligaments are mad at them anyway. And we'll talk about that as well. Pain management is also a piece of hypertrophy. So in studies in clinical trials where they look at pain management, not just from a, uh, a substance perspective to lower the feeling of pain, the subjective feeling of pain, but they add weight training so that muscle growth is a part of the pain management goal, then what happens is pain management is actually more easily achieved and longer lasting than just the uh, substance piece. So, you know, let's say you're taking a narcotic to reduce the amount of chronic pain that you experience. That's not as effective as if that nar narcotic was paired with weight training. And uh, in many of those studies, they find that they can reduce those, those narcotics relatively fast in order to get the same amount of pain management because the muscles help to keep everything from moving like it's not supposed to. And that's 
that's my golden ticket to a normal life, I hope, with um, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome and hypermobility. And then optimize body composition. And, you know, I, pu I put this last for a reason, right? Most of the people who have come to me in my career and said, hey, Alex, I really need to start working out. And I say, why? What's up? And they're like, you know what? Uh, you know, I want to look good naked or I, I need to fit my clothes better. I need to put on some muscle tissue. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I'd like my arms to look a bit. They're saying I'd like to grow some muscle and lose some fat. And, and so that is also a piece of why grow muscle is optimizing body composition. And I'm not saying that you have to be a bodybuilder or a physique competitor to appreciate muscle growth. What I am saying is that if you grow some muscle, you will have more optimal body composition for your genotype, your, your genetic profile. You'll have a better body composition than it if you didn't go on a muscle growing journey. So those are the whys around growing muscle. And this is just a, a simple graphic that shows you uh, from 1999 that shows you age-related decline in muscle mass. And so what you'll see is at age 50, they took a random sample of, of how much muscle mass these individuals had, and then they followed them over 40 years. And so it was just a measure of how much muscle these particular individuals had on their body. And what you can see is a very simple linear uh, degression Degression, regression is the word, simple linear regression from age 50 to age 80. And actually things plummeted around age 80, depending on how much muscle mass you have. Now, what, what we're not seeing here in this particular graph is what also happens between the ages of 20 and 50. And it's exactly the same. It's a very similar curve. It just seems to go faster the older we get. And these these aren't, you know, controlled for exercise or whatnot. It's just showing you what the age-related muscle decline looks like in the population. Now, there have been studies that have been uh, done where they look at the, the long-term muscle loss with regard to hypertrophy training. So if you're somebody who regularly engages in, in at least two bouts a year of six weeks of hypertrophy training three times a week, what they show in those studies is that the muscle loss is 90% less than in the general population year over year. So maintaining your, your muscle tissue over time is not only doable, but it's, it's not really that hard from a time perspective. 12 weeks of training, three days a week for, for, for the year, like that's, that's not a lot in order to keep 90% of your muscle mass compared to the rest of the population. So age-related sarcopenia, big deal. And then uh, this is, this is actually way more complicated than, than it even looks, which is, is saying a lot. If you're, you're joining me live and you don't see the, the actual PowerPoint in front of you right now, this is the mechanism by which our muscles learn how to grow. And it's actually an epigenetic process. So you don't lift weights and then your muscles like, oh, I should, I should probably get bigger. It, what happens is at the level of your DNA, hypertrophy training, that's resistance training in the uh, variables that we'll talk about in just a bit, that actually triggers the turning on of certain genes at the level of the DNA of your cell. And so that methylation, that turning on of the switch codes for the proteins required to grow the muscle tissue. And what's really interesting about coding for the growth of muscle tissue is that it actually sticks around after training. So if you do a seven week cycle of hypertrophy like these, individuals in this particular study did seven subjects, seven weeks of hypertrophy, hypertrophy training. They, they methylated all those, those genes, right? 
And then they took seven weeks off. They didn't exercise for seven weeks. And then they did another seven weeks of hypertrophy. And what the researchers found is that the methylation, the turning on of genes actually stayed around even though the muscle mass decreased over the seven weeks of deload. And so what that means for you is that coming back to hypertrophy training, coming back to muscle growth at different stages of life is an extremely important part of awakening the muscle. So it's not a way that you train all the time. It's not something you do 365 days a year. It's actually cycles of work that are specific and, and, and drilled down to and focused and concentrating on growing muscle tissue. And you'll see in the, the graph there on the right where it says loading and then reloading. Notice that loading, this is the actual weekly volume, how much they were able to, uh, to handle with their body with good recovery and whatnot, the weekly volume when they started loading was lower than the weekly volume that they started when they reloaded. So they did seven weeks of training. It took seven weeks off and then they did seven more weeks of training. They didn't start at square one all over again. They started at a higher level and they actually achieved higher volumes and therefore higher levels of muscle growth in their second course of training. And so if you don't learn anything else from, from this, what I want you to think about is that the, the dividends of hypertrophy training continue to pay off into life, even during times that you're not able to keep up with it. So that, that genotype, that turning on of the genes in, in your body, even if your, your muscles right now aren't being used for the particular kind of training that you're doing, or maybe you had to take a break, you had to get your joints to rest, maybe you had to take a vacation, whatever it is, even though the muscle shrinks a little bit, you don't look quite as you know buff and gainy in the mirror as you're used to, that, that doesn't stop. When you pick up hypertrophy training again, your DNA is like, hey, we know how this rolls. And, and so your cell begins to, again, create the machinery. So the instruction booklet's there. You've already taught it that. And now you're just telling the muscle cell to, to maintain the machinery. This is my primary argument for those who have never worked with a trainer when they started exercising, that even if you can only do it, you can only afford to do it for like six weeks or something, do that. Learn how to exercise, at least to do that. Turn on all that that genetic machinery and then cash in on that throughout life come back to it do it regularly um, chances are you'll grow relatively quickly it takes time to become conditioned and whatnot but anyway this is uh this is that that piece that's how is that weight training turns on particular genetic material that tells your body how to build itself stronger and we'll talk about the what in a second we'll get into the actual sets reps weight, time under tension, types of exercises, what to eat, whether or not cardio is a, a thing there. But I want to pause right here to field any questions because I've said a lot of things about what weight training is and why we do it versus, you know, what, what some of the fitness industry is saying about why you should grow muscle, you know, to offset your caloric deficit and, and all that stuff. There, there's a lot more to it than that. So what questions do you guys have before I move into the what what we actually do to grow muscle. I think we've got one from the group. I'm not even sure what my genetic profile is. You know what, even, even if you've done a genetic test with a, with a company, they, the, the science is still evolving to be able to tell you what to do with that. So regardless of what your genetic profile is, you are a mammal, homo sapien. I am also a mammal, homo sapien. And 
even though there are very specific changes in there that, that might change the way you go about your weight training versus the way I go about my weight training, maybe how much time you should spend on it every day or uh, what kind of recovery period you need to have between things, that sort of thing, how well you're going to sleep, all, all of those little markers. The, the general rule of sports medicine with regard to how many sets, how many reps at about what weight and how much rest you should have in between sets, that stays very consistent no matter what your genetic profile is. Now, there are some people whose genetic profile will let them grow larger without so much work. And then there are some folks' genetic profile where they have to work quite a bit harder to see muscle growth beyond what they have currently. And, and you know, you'll know that. You'll know that by, by doing it. You'll be like, wow, I'm having a hard time growing more muscle than now. And it's like, oh, I even, I even look at a weight and my shoulders go, boom. Um, I've trained... I've trained both, both ends of the spectrum, but you don't need to know what your genetic profile is to grow muscle, to do it well, and to do it intelligently. So good question. Thanks for that. Uh, what other questions do I have out there before we move into the what, uh, what we actually do to grow muscle? As you know, hypertrophy to me is just comfort. Whenever I'm really stressed, mm. it's just comfortable cycle to be in i could live there yeah what makes it so comforting to be in that what what is happening in my body or my brain that's making that so comforting that's such a good question katie says that the, the just the kind of training hypertrophy training and and we'll get into those acute variables in a second are just comforting i think in conversation you and i call this our mashed potatoes like our exercise mashed potatoes like that it's like a comfort food but comfort exercise <laughs> uh, nothing like getting on the leg press and doing five sets of 10 you know it's like ah that's that's good I don't have to pull any teeth to do that it's a really good question and it's one that we're just starting to figure out there's a couple couple things I could say about this the primary one I would say is that hypertrophy as as a training modality is exhausting to muscle tissue and one of the things that we're finding in type A personalities specifically, and I can say this because I know you, um, is that our muscle spindles are, are wound a little tighter. Have you ever heard like that person's wound a little tighter than, than other? That's actually true at the level of the muscle spindle for type A personalities. And what I think is, is happening outside of the fact that, you know, psychologically, you can just walk into the gym and you can have five exercises and you can do 20 sets without having to think too hard about what you're going to do or how much weight you're going to do, like kind of takes the pressure off because it's a, you know, relatively simple program designed to follow. It, it can get complicated, but it's relatively simple. So it kind of removes that from bandwidth issue. But I think that the resultant parasympathetic relaxation, that is to say that we've worn the muscle out and now it can't be wound so tight. So it's like a full body massage afterward. And I know it's those of you who've had a massage, you're like, no, it's not. It's not at all like that. Especially if you don't like hypertrophy. You're like, shut up. That's not that's not a massage. But but really though, the the relaxation that you feel after a massage is very similar to those of us who appreciate hypertrophy training. We're type A personalities. We're already kind of tightly wound. <clears throat> and then we go lift weights hard enough that our muscles can't be tightly wound anymore. They're like, yeah. <laughs> I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> that, that whining kind of 
relaxes a, a little bit. So it's, it's a relatively simple program to follow. And, and I believe it results in a full body relaxation. Now there's a few different things that happen from a neurochemistry perspective, like it lowers serotonin, or excuse me, it lowers, uh, lowers, come on Alex, cortisol. And so the stress hormone cortisol that makes you feel kind of kind of stressed out, that actually lowers after hypertrophy training and it's replaced by growth hormone. I don't think we're psychologically responding to that, but I, it is a beneficial aspect of it. It's like, hey, I'm, I'm burning off the stress hormone and I'm, I'm telling my body that it needs to go into a state of recovery. And so you get a boost out of that. And then personally, I just find the, the rep range of hypertrophy to be just right. Like, you know, in strength training, you do like three reps as hard as you can, maybe five reps, but you're really going for that as strong as I can. My, my neurons are going to be, you know, petered out, but I'm not going to feel tired. And then I have to rest for three to five minutes. That's strength. You know, that's strength training on the other, other side of the spectrum. You've got like endurance training, which is like, you're on rep 18, you know, and you're like, all right, only 20 more to go. I don't know about you guys, but I, that's just mentally exhausting. It's like, Oh, why do I have to do 20 more reps? I mean, I'll do it. It's good for endurance, but hypertrophy is that nice sweet spot. You can feel muscle, fa- <clears throat> excuse me. You can feel muscle failure. You can feel the burn. You can push through, you can move some weight. So I think for me, you know, I just enjoy that, but I, I think there's the, the relaxation aspect too. So Really good question. Does that answer it for you? I got a thumbs up. Cool. Any other questions out there? I don't know if I swallowed a fly or what, so I'm gonna mute and clear my throat so you don't have to hear me. A little bit of protein for my hypertrophy there and bug form. You're welcome. (laughs) All right, here we go. Now what you see in front of you is a very complicated looking table and we're actually going to focus on the the bottom, the, the purple circled portion. And there you'll see that on the left is time under tension. That's how long a set lasts in weight training. So let's say I told you to go do 12 push-ups. Time under tension is how long those 12 push-ups lasted, right? So your your pectoral muscle is under tension while you're doing push-ups, at least if you're doing them right. If they're up here in your shoulder, your your pectoral muscle is doing nothing. You're doing lots of of shoulder there. But if you're doing a push-up properly, there's a lot of tension in the pectoral muscle for the duration of 12 push-ups. Now... time under tension as it decreases as the length of the set man i should have brought some water or something as the length of the set decreases we move out of the range of hypertrophy and start to move into strength and power so if you're lifting for three reps or you're doing something explosive and short and we start getting less than 20 seconds time under tension we start to move away from hypertrophy as an adaptation. And so what you'll notice is I've, I've circled this on this table, this purple portion is really what we're looking at. And I've got these simplified for you in a bit, but our rep range is about five to 12 repetitions. 
our load is somewhere between 30% if you're deconditioned or new to hypertrophy, all the way up to 70% and 85% of your one rep max. So let's say you can bench press 200 pounds, 70% of your one rep max is 140. That would be a hypertrophy load for that particular exercise. And then 85% would be that 170, right? And, you know, same thing goes for whatever your max looks like. So that said, the table here is we're going to focus on this bottom portion. We're not going to talk about athleticism and endurance and foundations unless you guys want to here. So we're going to look at this sample hypertrophy week. Then we're going to look at a sample program. Then we're going to talk about the acute variables and some of the aspects of that. And I imagine we'll have lots of questions and then we'll come back to these samples. So if you have questions about these samples, hold them for just a second because we're going to come back to them. But looking at this, this is what a hypertrophy week looks like. On the slide here, you'll see uh, for some of my clients, I call this the gain train because they like that terminology. The technical term for this sort of training is hypertrophy. So on Monday, they start with chest and buys. And, you know, it's, it's cut off, so you can only <clears throat> see the first three there. And then we've got legs, and then we've got a high-intensity cardio day and abs and shoulders. And then you can see strength for uh, back and tries. You can see legs again. Then we have our long-form cardio, and then we have our rest at the very end. So this is what a sample hypertrophy week looks like. And you can see three to six hours there, meaning that the total time duration of the training over this week, depending on the individual, is three to six hours. And I might use this same breakdown for somebody who's new to hypertrophy <clears throat> as I would for somebody who's old hat at hypertrophy. It's just that we would do a different duration of exercise. So some people can do 90 minutes of, of hypertrophy altogether. And some people only need 15 to 20 minutes of hypertrophy. And so that said, that's what a week can look like. And we'll talk about some of the aspects of that week in just a second. And then we've got a sample back day. So notice that this is actually taken directly from that program you just saw. So this person will start out with a half mile run or five minutes of cardio just to kind of warm up, like actually increase the temperature of the body and get some blood flow, get their mind right. And then they'll start out with some warm up movements. These are activation exercises to get the muscles working well and to activate their core. So like a super bird dog, a Pilates roll up. <clears throat> and then this, uh, this particular exercise goes right into a weighted exercise, so weighted strict supinated chest-to-bar pull-ups, four sets of their max effort. So if they can do, um, if they can do assisted pull-ups, they can't quite do the whole thing, then we want an assistance that'll let us get to 15. And then if they, if they can do them unassisted to 10, then they'll do them unassisted. Then they move from the weighted chest-to-bar pull-up to deadlifts, then they move to a machine row, and then they have a superset. See that G1, G2, that's single arm dumbbell row and dumbbell pullover. And then we've got banded triceps pull down and strict dip superset with cable crunch, and then a cool down. So that's what a sample back date looks like. Core activation, <clears throat> strength-based movements, supersets, accessory work, and then finishing with uh, some core exhaustion. So 
So hypertrophy 101, what do you do to, to train muscle growth? How do you, how do you grow these muscles? And you can see it reflected in the sample program that I, that I just showed you. So acute variables, they, they really range widely on sets. So the sets are two to 10 sets. The more well-trained you are and the more intense you're going on volume, that's, that's where sets go. I personally stay between three and five sets during most of my hypertrophy work. Every once in a while, I venture higher. And every once in a while, I have an exercise that my body doesn't like very much, but I'll do two sets of it to work that muscle that way. And then from a repetitions perspective, you know, coming from the table again, five to 12 repetitions and a load to match, right? If five repetitions is, you know, pretty dang hard and you don't have a lot left in the tank, then that makes sense. That load makes sense. And the same thing for the 12 repetition side of things. If, if 12 repetitions is easy and, you know, you still have a lot more left in the tank, then your load's probably not heavy enough unless you're just babying some tendons and stuff. <clears throat> and then a uh, rest period for hypertrophy is 30 to 90 seconds. So in between sets, you're taking 30 to 90 seconds off. And that's usually correlated with how heavy you're lifting. The heavier you lift, the more rest you usually need. <clears throat> Compound movements in hypertrophy are more effective than isolation movements in hypertrophy. Meaning that if I'm doing a squat, for instance, that's going to hit my quadriceps, my hamstrings, my glutes, my calves, it's a, it's a full body exercise. It requires several muscle groups to work together as a unit. Whereas a quad extension, you know, that machine you sit on that, that, you know, you straighten your legs, it's called an isolation movement. And that generally results in less hypertrophy, less muscle growth, because you're targeting one muscle. Now there's something to be said, and you can see it in the advanced programming down there about pre-exhaustion or forced reps that's down there at the bottom under advanced programming, which means maybe on a squat day, you might go do some isolated quad extensions in order to wear out those quadriceps in a more controlled environment. So squats could result in injury if your quads are tired and you keep doing them. Uh, whereas quadricep extensions with relatively lighter weight gives you a lot more control over exhausting the quadricep muscle further. Then uh, we talk about progressive overload in training. <clears throat> really, that's, that's one, one of the measures of that is called absolute volume. Progressive overload is really just a fancy way of saying every week you improve. You either add a little bit of weight, you add a few reps, you add another set. And, and that's something that you can measure from an improvement perspective. There's a number called absolute volume in hypertrophy, which is just a way that you can track by the numbers your progress over time. So week one of deadlifting, let's say you do 150 pounds, three sets, 10 repetitions. Well, you multiply all those three numbers together and you get a number 4,500. Not sure what to call the units there, sets times reps times load. <laughs> we, just, we just do the number and we call it absolute volume in hypertrophy training. So in week two, you do 175. So you increase the weight a bit, but you keep the sets and reps the same. You'll notice that's 5,250 or a 16% increase in the absolute volume of your training. That's a sign of progressive overload is, is the ability to be able to go up like that. And then week four, you can see we've increased the weight and sets, but decreased the reps. And we've still ended up with a higher number than week two. And then in week six, we've increased the, the weight, the sets, 
and decrease the reps even further so that we're doing 225 pounds for five sets, six repetitions, but we end up at 6750 of work. Now the question is what muscles are regrowing with a deadlift like that? And the answer is your deadlift works your lats, your deadlift works your glutes, your deadlift works your hamstrings, your deadlift works your calves, your deadlift works your core. So there's a lot of things going on in a deadlift and this absolute volume number is a really good way to track how those, those muscles are progressing given the volume. So you can increase, you'll notice you can increase absolute volume with reps, sets, or load, change any of those, changing one variable at a time, unless you're well-trained or under some coaching supervision. You'll notice that load is a more advanced progression than reps or sets. Most people can add a set or add a couple reps week over week without you know, requiring a lot of supervision or without you know, making their body too angry. Uh, load is, a, is another thing altogether. Intensity, you know, requires more of our joints usually. So going up in weight is usually more difficult on the body, not necessarily better for muscle growth, but more difficult on the body than going up in sets or repetitions. Then we come to time under tension, and I'll take questions at the end of the slide here. <clears throat> time under tension, the set duration matters. You can increase your set duration from something like 15 seconds over a four week cycle to 30 seconds, which is a powerful uh, indication of, of adaptation there. That would mean like slowing down the movement. So let's say in week one, you did, you know, just normal bench presses with a weight. If you slowed down the movement for a six count, but did the same number of reps and sets, what you would notice is that your absolute volume wouldn't increase week over week you know, the sets, the reps, the weight, they're all the same. So the absolute volume stays the same. But one of the ways that you can improve or progressively overload your muscles to tell them to grow, to create those epigenetic adaptations, that is time under tension. You can, you can slow down the movement at the same weight week over week, increase the time under tension and require your muscles uh, to work hard there. Keep that concentric explosive. So you go slow, six, five, four, three, two, one, boom, six, five, four. That's more effective than trying to go slow on the way up and fast on the way down. That because you're hitting both sets of muscle fibers, there's a different set of muscle fibers that fight gravity, the eccentric phase. And there's a different set of muscle fibers that create concentric movement. Um, so, so by slowing down the eccentric phase, you can actually get a little more growth out of the, your muscle cells without actually requiring you to lift heavier or to do many more sets or many more reps. <clears throat> then the uh, recovery of secondary movers is an important aspect. I like to do back and tries, for instance, because that means I get to hit my tries on chest day because your triceps are, are working hard on chest day. And I get to hit my tries again a second time in the week on back day. But that means you can't put your chest and your back day side by side because your poor triceps are smoked and they're not getting to rest and you'll end up with elbow injuries or shoulder injuries. And, and that's not very good. So I, I noted here, biceps are helping in a pull-up. So when you do a pull-up, your lats are working, your rhomboids are working, your lower traps are working. That's great. But your bicep is also working to bend the elbow. Lats and uh, traps are, are pulling down on the humerus and, and depressing the shoulder blades. But the the bicep is actually working on the elbow joint. So your bicep works hard on back day when you do pull-ups, when you do rows, when you do um, all of the rows, <laughs> so many rows. Um, so avoid exercising biceps the day after a heavy back day 
uh, so that you don't tax your elbow or your shoulder or even the bicep muscle. That's where tears occur. Like uh, I've seen people do things like a really hardcore arm and shoulder workout, which is very tricep heavy. Your chest has to stabilize. <clears throat> and then they do chest the next day. Bad juju. You're going to hurt a pectoral muscle that way. And then there's a lot of advanced programming. And this is one of the reasons that training as a job exists, because this can get very complicated. It doesn't have to be, but it can be. Supersets, giant sets, pyramids, force reps, pre-exhaustion, and more. And I'm willing to take any questions that are relevant to you there. So I'm going to pause here. That was a lot of information about what we'll get to uh, nutrition and cardio in a second. We're doing good on time here. So I'm going to pause and uh, fire away. What questions are out there either Coming back to our sample hypertrophy week, you'll notice some of the things that I just talked about. So notice the cardio placement and amount. There's not a lot of cardio in this hypertrophy week here, right? Uh, we've got it on Wednesday here and we've got it on Saturday that, for this individual. And their high intensity work in this particular program is not long. It's 30 seconds hard, 30 seconds easy times 10. That's, <laughs> that's 10 minutes. That's not long. And then there are long form cardio, 60 minutes. So this person is doing a total of 70 minutes of cardio in their week. If you were to count their warm up work, their half mile run, for instance, then you could add, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 20 minutes or so to their 70. So 90 total minutes, not a lot of cardio happening in this particular program. Uh, some folks in their hypertrophy, and we'll talk about this in a bit, like to add a bit of hit training to the end of their weight training day. And that's acceptable. It's very taxing, but it is acceptable as well. But generally means that you don't have other long form cardio in your week. Uh, notice that the rest interval for the upper and lower body uh, gives, gives about two days of rest uh, one to two days of rest for most muscle groups. So uh, they have chest and buys, and then they have some shoulder work on Wednesday after their, their chest has had some rest. So their chest can actually do uh, the work of stabilizing the shoulders that it needs to. And then they have back and tries that next day. Uh, legs, there's a two day or three day rest in between leg days. So there's a lot of rest in between muscle groups before hitting them again in the week. In hypertrophy training, you can look at each muscle group and add up how many sets of work they're doing throughout the week. That's one way to do it. I generally like to add up how many sets of work I'm doing in the workout and then just ensure that I'm not hitting that muscle group again for another 24 to 48 hours. Uh, you can do even longer than that, but that's usually what a six-day split looks like. And notice that uh, the rest day is not like don't work out. It's just there's an activity involved. So I, I generally tell my clients to do some yoga uh, of, of their choice and or uh, foam roll and stretch particular muscle groups. This particular person wrestles with lower back issues. And so we do a lot of things to make sure on the rest day that they're doing that mobility work to keep the back doing what it's supposed to. And then notice how the, the workout itself breaks down. So on this back day, we start and end with core. This is important. We start with core to activate it. Don't exhaust your core before you go do deadlifts. It's bad juju for your back. You don't want to do a whole bunch of core work and then, you know, go do deadlifts because your, your core is actually what stabilizes your spine 
in the deadlift. And the same could be said about just about every compound exercise that's beneficial for hypertrophy. So uh, make sure you activate your core, but don't exhaust it. And then at the end of the workout, you can exhaust your core. If you're trying to grow some muscle in your rectus abdominis, that's the six pack muscle or the transverse abdominis, that's the muscle that's under the six pack muscle that kind of holds everything together and stabilizes your spine. Or maybe you're working on, on the iliac crest, those obliques on the sides and, and you want to uh, grow some muscle on those, you can do that core work at the end of a good hypertrophy day. Um, so activate your core at the beginning, exhaust it at the end, but, but don't, don't flip those two around. Um, also notice that this particular workout makes good use of compound movements like a pull-up or a deadlift and isolation movements like a banded triceps pull-down. Right. So there are isolation movements in the workout, but generally isolation movements make up the last half or the last third of the workout. Whereas your compound movements you want to do when you're pretty fresh, when you're, when you're just getting into things, that first 20 minutes or so of, of the workout should be where your hardest compound movements exist. Uh, notice also this, this workout uh, makes use of supersets. So both G and I there are supersets. There's a single arm dumbbell row, which is a back exercise that requires some work from the bicep. And then there's the dumbbell pullover, which is a back exercise, lower trap specific, that uh, requires some, some work from the triceps. So single arm dumbbell row wears out the, the biceps in the back the dumbbell pullover wears out the back and the, the triceps. So we're hitting the back in two different ways without requiring work from, from both. That's actually one of my favorite of all time, favorite supersets. So go try it if you haven't tried it. Single arm dumbbell row with some dumbbell pullovers. I, I promise you it will, it will light your back on fire and take good care of your arms at the same time. So, so why back and tries versus back and buys? We spoke about this earlier, right? back is already hard on your biceps. It's a lot of pulling movements. It's a lot of elbow flexion. Adding bicep curls and hammer curls and that sort of thing at the end of your workout on exhausted biceps, just a good way to make your elbows and wrists angry over time. And so instead of doing that, I, I tend to like to, to pair that opposing secondary muscle group, the triceps, with the, those prime movers for the back. So that's that's a personal preference of mine. I'm, I'm trying to save my joints over time. Uh, there are some folks who will be like, no, man, to grow massive biceps, you got to hit your back hard and then you got to exhaust your bicep. I mean, you can do that, but I've, uh, I've got two kids trying not to die anytime soon. So I'd like my elbows to stay as young as possible. if I can help it. So we're going to move on to the nutrition piece. Final, final opportunity to ask any programming questions before we get to nutrition. We're good in the, the app, we're good on here, sweet. All right, so nutrition. Nutrition's tricky, but really when it comes to hypertrophy, your, your, magic, your magic word is carbohydrates. Yay, carbs, they're not bad for you. <laughs> Actually, there are some contraindications to carbohydrate consumption. So if you are somebody who wrestles with type 1 or type 2 diabetes or hyperinsulinia, um, both those, those conditions require that you're careful about your carbohydrate intake. When it comes to hypertrophy, what we're trying to do with our 
macronutrients is we're trying to one, provide the building blocks to rebuild the tissues that we just exercised hard, right? And in hypertrophy, the ad adaptive response, the growth of muscle tissue from the, the changing of those, those uh, genetic markers, that's actually an inflammatory response, very similar to recovering from an illness. You can almost think of hypertrophy training as, as making your muscles sick for a short period of time to grow them back stronger. It's not that, but it's, a, it's not a bad way to think about it. And that process requires a ridiculous amount of energy, requires a ridiculous amount of energy. And the reason I say carbohydrates is because carbohydrates are a short-term fuel source. In carbohydrate molecules, we have oxygen packed right into the molecule. We don't have to provide it. We don't have to breathe it. It's just right there. And so in hypertrophy training, both during exercise and after exercise, our body requires quite a few more carbohydrates than it usually does in order both to fuel the training, which are those, those short, you know, relatively short, you're not, you're not running three miles, man. You're doing, you're doing three sets of 10, <laughs> you know, like that's a short duration activity, high intensity. You're asking a lot of work for the muscles. And then you're asking them to rest for a short period of time, rebuild their ATP stores and then do it again. Right. So that requires carbohydrates. Now I'm not saying you can't grow muscle without carbohydrates. What I am saying is that the process generally requires carbohydrates. <laughs> so you can, you can grow and maintain muscle tissue, but not quite to the degree that you could uh, without carbohydrates. It's just carbohydrates, man. So you'll notice, you know, I have, I have the training phases there on the left stabilization endurance. That's generally where I start folks. When I start training with them, I have to teach their body to move well together. I have to teach their muscles to be endurable. And then we move up, up the ladder toward power and athleticism, right? The, the lower intensity phases of training, the more endurance focused phases of training that generally is a higher fat phase of training, meaning that in terms of your total caloric intake, fat makes up a higher percentage of your total calories in. So about 20 to 30% of your calories coming from proteins in a day. That's, you know, depending on the, the human being, I, I generally hang out around 150 grams of protein. That would be a, a decent amount for me. That's 20 to 30% of my total intake. And then fats will make up about 30 to 50% of your total intake. And then carbs making up 10 to 20% of your total intake. Remember, this is for an individual beginning their, their training program. And, and that's because from a carbohydrate perspective, they're not very good at using them yet. Their body depends on them because they're bad at moving oxygen. That's why you crave carbohydrates when you're deconditioned or in a poor state of recovery. However, after we teach their body how to use carbohydrates and how to move oxygen, then increasing the amount of carbohydrates in their diet won't result in, in fat gain. And that's why you see up the ladder as intensity grows, uh, then the fat percentage of your, your total caloric intake usually decreases and the carbohydrate intake usually increases. So the closer we get to things like hypertrophy, strength, power, you'll see I circled RMR growth, that's resting metabolic rate growth, that's called anabolism, that's building of the body rather than the breaking down, that's catabolism, then uh, you find yourself in a place where you require more carbohydrates to do a good job by that process. So we've probably all had the experience, if you've done any hypertrophy training, what it feels like to do it when you're fed versus when you're not fed. Let's say you, you didn't eat anything all night long 
and then you woke up at 5 a.m. and then you went and did a hypertrophy workout. You're going to get very different performance out of yourself at 5 a.m. with nothing in your gut and your glycogen stores burnt out from overnight unless you had just a giant meal the night before than then if you worked out at, let's say, seven after having a bowl of oatmeal and, I don't know, an egg or two. <laughs> you're going to have a different performance out of yourself. Why? Well, the, the high intensity exercise requires the glycogen. It requires the carbohydrates that you're, you're breaking down from your oatmeal there. And similarly, those of you who can work out around 3 p.m. or 4 p.m. after work, maybe 5 p.m., you find that if you haven't eaten anything all day, your workouts are terrible. Why? Well, from a hypertrophy perspective, you can do an endurance workout. You can do some cardio in an empty stomach and it, it won't be a problem or in a glycogen depleted state, but you're going to have a hard time if you're not consuming enough carbohydrates there. And then post-workout carbohydrates are important because insulin is the most anabolic hormone in the body. So boosting your insulin right after an exercise bout and replenishing your glycogen stores makes that recovery process happen faster and happen more intensely. You will grow more muscle if you have some post-workout carbohydrates, which is why um, Coach Alex often says you can have your carrot cake, but just make sure you have it on leg day. Um, and the idea being that if you're going to eat carrot cake, you're going to have a bunch of simple carbohydrates, then it's best done after you tax your muscle tissue, you burn through your glycogen stores and your body's in a state of recovery, and it's going to make great use of those carbohydrates. And this is a, uh, a study done in the Journal of Applied Physiology. And what they showed is that the actual glycogen concentration and the, the requisite muscle growth was greater for those who consumed um, those uh, the low glycemic carbohydrates after their workout versus, you know, that, that 24 hour period post-workout. And so what that means is if you are going to have your carrot cake, you can help yourself out by doing that on days where you're doing heavy hypertrophy training. For me, that's back or leg day. And uh, you can do some fun life planning around that. Like ah, I have a date night with my wife. How do I make that work really well with my, my training program? Because I mean, do you really want to be the guy ordering chicken breast? I mean, you can, that's fine if you want to, but, but I like to order things that I can't make myself. So, so I don't, I don't like to put too many parameters on the whole eating out for celebratory reasons. And so it's a, it's a great, and my wife does the same thing. Like we'll, we'll go hit leg day together or we'll go do back day or something like that. And, and make sure that we're in a great state of recovery. And this is why over the holiday time frame, I, I generally tell people do hypertrophy over the holidays. So great Thanksgiving and Christmas phase of training um, because you're just going to make some great use out of those carbohydrates. And so that leads us to cardio. I mean, we can talk a lot about nutrition here. I actually put in my key points, I talked a bit about supplements. I could do an entire workshop on, on ergogenic aids and recovery. So that said, I, I wanna open up the floor here for any questions about nutrition related to hypertrophy since I've talked about macros and post-workout carbohydrates and whatnot. Opening up the floor. Have you fallen asleep on me yet? Robin says no. He says thumbs up. Got this. I'm awake. Rock and roll. I can't see James's or Jared's face, but I'm sure they're with us doing wonderful things. <laughs> Those in the in the app are telling me they're not asleep. Good. 
you're just you're just jazzed up to go lift some weights now right after this you're just gonna go pick up just whatever you can find any heavy things you can find and just i'm just i'm gonna i'm turning on my, the genes that grow my muscles i'm becoming more carbohydrate sensitive i'm fighting age-related sarcopenia nobody else is gonna say <laughs> i'm not gonna lift weights this late at night i won't sleep well but i will tomorrow and i will be thinking those things so cardiovascular exercise so there's a myth floating around in the bodybuilding and physique community that cardiovascular exercise burns muscle tissue that is not true I'm here to tell you that is not true if you go for a run or if you go for a hike or you go for a walk you're not burning muscle tissue what burns muscle tissue twofold one if you do too much of it in a week when you're doing hypertrophy training then you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot remember i'll actually go all the way back you see here where we're talking about well it's way back here on on this table here where the the work at the bottom low load exhaustive muscle hypertrophy strength endurance endurance training is actually even lower than that it's on, at the opposite end of the spectrum of strength and hypertrophy training and so when you combine the two you're asking your body to adapt to two different stressors and your body doesn't have that many resources it can only adapt to a specific amount of stressors in your life at once right so so when you're asking it to do adaptations to both the endurance side of training and the hypertrophy side of training then you're asking your body to split its resources and you're going to get subpar results in both fields i'm not saying you can't do it you're just going to get subpar results if you're training hard for cardiovascular endurance and training hard for hypertrophy the other thing is your risk of injury goes up significantly when you're asking your body to do, to adapt to two different things. So you won't be able to train as long, like as many weeks that way um, as you would otherwise if you, you split them up a bit. The other thing about cardiovascular exercise and hypertrophy training is that when you do hypertrophy training, I tend to think of my joints as assets my, my shoulders, my elbows, my knees, my ankles, my back. And, and that might have to do with living with Ehlers-Danlos, but it's also having to do with, with keeping my clients from entering a state of injury or under recovery. I spend my shoulders, I spend my knees, I spend my back, right? And I have to, have to kind of allot that asset. I can't spend my knees on a 10 mile run if I also want to spend my knees on squatting and quad extensions, right? And so there's a careful balance between cardiovascular exercise and hypertrophy training because we are also asking our joints to adapt to what we're doing. And so when you think of it like that, my rule of thumb for cardiovascular exercise is, is during hypertrophy, we try to keep it to about two hours or less a week. Now I have met some individuals in my life and I've trained some individuals in my life who can do more than that without impeding their hypertrophy training. Their bodies are ultra resilient. Um, they're very well trained. So for whatever reason, their bodies don't have a very hard time with that. My body has a hard time with it. It's not that I won't grow good muscle. It's that I will end up with joint injuries if I do too much more cardio than about two hours a week. And so they're really, I've, I've in the past divided cardiovascular exercise into three types. So base training cardio, 
on a scale of one to 10, how hard is this base cardio is about a three or four, right? So maintain your normal level of base training or lower it a little bit during hypertrophy. So uh, it keeps your fat burning ability, stabilizes your oxygen deliverability. So while you're training hypertrophy and you're doing more and you're, you're eating more carbohydrates, base training will help your body not forget not forget how to use fat as a fuel source. It won't forget how to move oxygen, right? So that you don't end up, you know, I don't know, a, a big muscular version of you who also can't lose fat. <laughs> that's, that's bad. It's bad to be metabolically inflexible over time. So, so doing some base training is important. It can promote blood flow for recovery. So if your legs are really smoked, sometimes a good hike or some time on the Stairmaster, I know you don't wanna do it, you're sore but it helps. It will help to work out some of that soreness. It will help to promote blood flow. Um, I call it a great rest day from weight training to do base cardio. And you don't have to do an hour of it. I mean, 20 minutes or more is sufficient. And then heart and brain health. So our, our most prevalent and positive adaptations for our heart and our brain come from base training cardiovascular exercise. So that that's on a scale of one to 10, how hard is this? A three or a four is going to be very powerful for keeping your heart and, and brain very healthy. And that's important because if, you know, growing muscle, if it's a long-term play in your life, you're dealing with age-related sarcopenia, for instance, we want to keep your brain healthy. We want to keep your heart healthy. And uh, that's a big part of, of being 1% better every day. Wouldn't it be better if the better version of you lived a little while longer? Yes, it would, because we need more of you who are better in the world. And therefore, we want to keep you healthy, uh, both from a quantity and years perspective and a quality perspective. Then there's moderate cardiovascular training. And you can maintain that level that you were doing prior to hypertrophy, or you can lower that as well. Really, the main reason to continue doing moderate cardiovascular training during hypertrophy is just, just to maintain uh, performance endurance. So for instance, I don't want my mile time to decrease while I do hypertrophy training. I worked really hard last year to get under a six-minute mile. And so moderate cardiovascular exercise, a small amount of it during my hypertrophy training, is a helpful way to keep my body from, from getting slower in my mile. That's personally important to me. You might have some things that are personally important to you to maintain from a, a performance and endurance perspective. And then high intensity interval training. You can maintain this from whatever you're doing prior to your hypertrophy training or increase it. <clears throat> so this is the only type of training that's generally recommended from a cardiovascular perspective to increase during hypertrophy uh, because it can boost growth hormone. Um, remember I was telling you about carb tolerance or insulin sensitivity. You can think of them as, as basically the same thing. Uh, they're, they're not, but they're, they're very closely related. So it helps to think of them together. High intensity interval training boosts both of those things and growth hormone. So if you're trying to grow muscle, more growth hormone is, is generally helpful. Now, the caveat to this is high intensity interval training can be hard on your joints. So, you know, doing sprints, wind sprints, for instance, is a good example of high intensity interval training. It's also pretty hard on your back, your knees, and your hips, right? And maybe even your ankles or, or feet if, if your toe joints have some problems. So, so that said, if you're spending your hypertrophy training on things like, um, or you're spending your joints on things like leg press or, or plyo box jumps or, or 
barbell reverse lunges, then doing sprints is something that, you know, you could do during the week, but I don't know if I'd recommend doing it after every workout during your hypertrophy program. And that's where some people get into trouble is they read somewhere that doing 10 minutes of hit or 15 minutes of hit would maximize their fat loss during their hypertrophy training. And maybe that's true. Like in, in some short-term studies, they've found, you know, similar benefits in that, that front. However, what the studies don't talk about is the fact that it might be really difficult to finish your hypertrophy training without injury if you are doing high intensity intervals after every hypertrophy workout for eight weeks. So that said, you can maintain it or increase it. Just note that you're spending your joints on that. And it requires similar adaptations to weight training. And so the, uh, the cardiovascular exercise that's high intensity is pulling from the same bucket of resources as your hypertrophy training is. So don't do too much of it. It's, it's not gonna help you in the long run to overdo it on hit. The nice thing though, is it's short duration. So, you know, that two hours a week or less is easier to do with, with more hit training. So uh, again, cardio, not bad. It's not going to screw up your muscle tissue unless you're not eating enough protein and carbohydrates and, or you're doing too much of it. So key points from, from this workshop, and then I'll take any burning questions that remain from those of you who are able to join us are Exercise is much more than a calories out proposition. Muscle growth is an adaptation. And when you think about your exercise, that, that matters more than energy expenditure. You will not grow muscle very well in a caloric deficit. The name of the game with muscle growth is we are feeding the beast. We are, we are doing the work and then giving the body the materials it needs to build a better you, right? Muscle growth is an important key to unlocking healthy metabolism improving and maintaining carbohydrate tolerance, insulin sensitivity, preventing joint and bone degradation and injury, and promoting optimal body composition. All of those things are packed into the muscle growth phase of training, as we talked about in our, our different examples of what that looks like. Hypertrophy training depends on the, the life cycle phase. So if you're deconditioned, if you've not done hypertrophy before, then you can get some actual muscle growth results from 10 minutes of work four days a week, three to five sets of leg press, three to five sets of lat pulldowns, three to five sets of cable rows, and three to five sets of bench press. Boom. Like in your week, you will actually grow some muscle that way. If you are further down the line, you're, you might be conditioned, or maybe you're athletic, or maybe you're, you're working on legacy. Um, in, in those phases of, of the life cycle of your training, you can do as much as 60 minutes, five days a week, and see some uh, positive benefits. I've heard of people doing things like four days a week, 90 minutes. And, and I mean, 90 minutes is a long time for me to be working out, but, but some people have the time for that. So have at it. Maybe when I was in college, maybe when it was like my job to be young and healthy, uh, cardiovascular foundation is an important piece of recovery and execution. It's only catabolic. It will only tear down your muscle tissue and excess generally, uh, less than two to three hours a week is, is just fine. It's not going to mess up your muscle growth. It'll probably benefit your, your body composition, your heart, your brain, your recovery, but don't overdo it. Pre and post-workout carbohydrates, unless contraindicated, unless you're wrestling with, you know, triglycerides or insulin, um, they are very powerful for muscle growth. So teaching your body how to use carbohydrates as a fuel source, not just depend on them for a fuel source because you can't move oxygen, but teaching your body how to make good use of carbohydrates. 
is part of what the hypertrophy phase is all about. Pain and injury are an indication that the foundation needs to be revisited. So if you're regularly dealing with things like tendonitis or muscle strains and whatnot, that's an indication that you need to spend some time teaching your body how to move well, doing low weight, high repetition exercises slowly in order to get the right muscle groups firing and, and correct any bad movement patterns and whatnot, and then come back to the hypertrophy phase when your joints are ready for it. Macros should reflect your bio-individual needs for muscle growth. There are some individuals who carbohydrates are an op aren't an option. And I've been you know, praising carbohydrates capacity for muscle growth here, but, but that doesn't mean you can't grow good muscle as long as you're fueling your body with enough protein and fats as well. It's just gonna be harder for you to see the, the same amount of gains and you might have to, to do some more sets. You might have to do some more repetitions and you might need a little more rest than the average person who's able to consume carbohydrates in excess. And then last but not least, there's, there's a giant list of things that people turn to from a supplements perspective, like ergogenic aids, creatine, caffeine, peppermint oil, B vitamins. I have only listed the ones, by the way, that have been studied to improve performance and hypertrophy. So uh, you, can, you can enjoy this list. Creatine, caffeine, peppermint oil, uh, B vitamins, vitamin D, beta alanine, betaine, citrulline malate, and then some recovery aids include obviously protein. If you're not getting enough protein, it's difficult to ask your body to build itself out of inadequate protein. Simple carbohydrates, we've already talked about that. Curcumin is in is the active phytosome in turmeric, and that's actually really helpful for mitigating inflammation. So it'll help with delayed onset muscle soreness and also help with things like tendonitis and tendinosis. And then omega-3 fatty acids keep the inflammatory markers in the body from, from being too raw. It makes it a little less, um, makes it less easy. There we go for your body to be overly sore. <laughs> that's, that's a really backwards way to say it, but omega-3s kind of create the environment for positive adaptations without going overboard on the inflammation front. So that was a lot of things. The only question I didn't answer that was submitted was drum roll, please. Alex, I gain weight when I lift weights but my goal is weight loss. What in the world? And so to that, I would say two things. First, lifting weights for weight loss is an investment in the future. You may or may not see positive weight changes. You might see your clothes fit differently. You might see your measurements change. You might see your body fat percentage go down, but maybe you won't weigh less while you're growing muscle tissue. What you will see is that your metabolism, your metabolic rate, the energy that you have available to do things, that will increase. Your strength will increase. Your athletic performance will increase. And you will also be able to tolerate carbohydrates better. So that makes me think of an individual I'm working with. We've lost, he's at the 115-pound mark today, which is pretty cool. Uh, and when we first started working together, he was eating about 50% of his calories from fats. He was eating about 30% of his calories from proteins and about 20% of his calories from carbs. And he said, look, man, I'm scared of carbs. When I eat them, I swell up like a balloon. It's not very good. Like, cool, whatever, man. So we started with that really, really high fat diet. Fast forward uh, a year and two months later, we are down 115 pounds. And currently he consumes 20 to 30 grams of protein, or excuse me, 20 to 30% of his calories from protein in a day. And he consumes about 15 to 20% of his calories from fat in a day, significant drop. Used to be about 50%, now it's about 15 to 20%. And 
And then the rest, about 50 to 60% of his calories in a day come from carbohydrates. And he's still steadily losing weight week over week. And I attribute that 100% because the, the caloric intake is actually higher now than it was a year ago. So he's lost 115 pounds and he's eating more food than he was a year ago, okay? The deficit people tell you, you can't do that. You can do that if you grow some muscle, if you teach your body how to utilize carbohydrates well and how to move oxygen well is his metabolic rates allowing him to consume those carbohydrates and not store them. So that said, if you weight train with a weight loss goal, just know weight training is an investment in the future. You're not going to see a lot of weight loss in those four to eight weeks that you're growing muscle, but it will benefit your weight loss journey on the back end. So grow some muscle, be smart about it. Don't go crazy with the carrot cake. And then after your hypertrophy phase, cash in on that increased metabolic rate, do some athleticism, do some endurance training, reduce the amount of carbohydrates that you're eating and watch what happens to your body as a result of, of that work. So great question. I hope that helps. Now, that was a lot, guys. You hung with me well. We have 12 minutes, technically. So if you have some burning questions you want to drop, bring them. Let's do it. What haven't we talked about tonight that's on your mind? Hey, Alex, can you hear me? What's up, Jared? How are you? Good. Hey, uh, so the last few days, I've noticed after my workouts that I had some serious muscle twitching, mm. like pec muscles, like I did cardio yesterday and like leg twitches throughout the night. Like mm. I never really had that before. Mm. And I get, I think that kind of goes along with this workshop, yeah. but I don't know what it's causing it. Good question. So there's, there's a couple of things worth saying there. For, are you sweating a lot right now? Like when you, when you exercise kind of as the temperature is increasing in the world, are you, uh, are you sweating a lot? Uh, not, not really. Okay. Good to know. Maybe a little bit more because it is a little bit warmer, but mm. not extensive. Good question. So the, the two things I, I generally go to are, are one, as we create new muscle tissue, we are creating new nervous system connections as well. So when the nervous system is, is growing and doing its thing, the, the process is twitchy. Uh, I, I don't know if anybody else had this, but when I was growing, when I was an adolescent, I was 13, 14 years old. I was 4'11", okay? I was, I was a tiny dude. I'm not a really huge dude now, but I'm 5'9". I'm I earned that almost foot, dang it. Um, but, but that said, when I went through that growth process that took about three years, my muscles were twitching all the time, man. They were going crazy. Why? Well, my muscles were growing and my nerves were, were, were growing as well to teach my muscles what to do with themselves, right? So that process itself can be kind of twitchy. As I, I know your program pretty intimately, and I know that this is the, the first major experience with hypertrophy and athleticism that you've been through. So that's a possibility that you're kind of going through that that growth phase. I'd be concerned if you get any cramps that don't let go. Twitching's one thing. It's kind of annoying, but but a cramp that won't let go, that's an indication of the second thing, which would be an electrolyte deficiency, usually. So uh, potassium and magnesium specifically. And so uh, magnesium supplementation is important, but also the, the electrolyte side of things. So if you're eating really clean, <clears throat> clean 
means you're probably not doing a lot with seasonings or nobody's adding a bunch of salt to your stuff. If you're exercising regularly, you're getting that sweat on, especially as the temperature increases, making sure you get enough electrolytes is going to be important. So uh, the twitching could be an indication of, of good growth, but just to err on the side of caution, I would, I would make sure that you, uh, you address the electrolyte issue. And it could be as simple as getting just some uh, salt with potassium in it or some electrolyte tablets. Okay. Good question, and man. when we were talking, when you were talking earlier about they were like craving the um the heavy workouts mm. and i'm the opposite like the athleticism phase that we've been in i i crave that more than anything mm. and i just find it's interesting everybody's perspective on it is when yeah. we go into that like i way look more forward to that I, I tend to think of it as a difference in stress. So some people have like a, a monumental of stress in their mind and somebody carry some, some folks carry a monumental amount of stress in their body. I don't have any science to back me up here on this differentiation. This is just what I've noticed in working with uh, clientele. And so when we have a lot of mind stress, we have a lot of mental anxiety, the actual physical movement of cardiovascular exercise, lots of reps, lightweight, sometimes running, I don't know, throw a ruck on and run up a hill like that, that actually activates the, the basal nucleus of the brain rather than the amygdala. And so what happens is, is it kind of turns off our emotions and gives us a break from them, which is pretty cool. It's it, uh, a client of mine and I call it robot cardio. It's like, I get to be a robot and turn off that part of my brain and go sweat and breathe hard. So that's pretty cool. But then uh, those of us who are carrying a lot of stress in our body, maybe we've had to sit all day at a really stressful job. <laughs> so our body is just like, this was stupid. Um, and maybe we're just exhausted, but, but we're carrying a lot of bodily stress. That's, that's where I think that hypertrophy training can be helpful. Again, I don't have any science to back me up on, on that front. It's just what I've noticed from working with people. And it's not, it's, it's not always specific people. It's, it could be specific stages in life, things that we're wrestling with in, in life. There are times where a good run does it for me. And there are also times when lifting a heavy deadlift does it for me. Um, and by does it, I mean, calms down the, calms down the demon. <laughs> whatever you want to call it, uh, keep, yeah. makes me a better, makes me a better human. So I don't snap at my kids, but, uh, it's, it's a really good observation though. I'm glad to hear that whether you, whether you enjoy the weight training aspect of things or the sweating and breathing hard aspect of things that you've got one of them in your life to do the job. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you very much. I hope this was helpful to you. I'm going to have the recording out in the better daily app for you. If you want to catch it again if i went through something a little quick or after a good night's sleep you're like hey wait a second i need to see that table again it'll be there so this has been alex van houten with better daily until next time guys kick butt take names the three practical advice and conversations here remain unbought and unbiased thanks to the support of Better Daily. If this episode has been helpful to you, share it with someone in your life who you know it will benefit. Then subscribe to the podcast and leave us a raving review to tell others what value Defining Dad Bond has brought to your health and fitness journey. Finally, 
If you're struggling for betterment, don't do it alone. We all have a cross to carry, and it's lighter when we do it together. Go to definingdadbod.com slash betterdaily to get supported, challenged, and inspired to take yourself to the next level. Who knows who we could be if we could become 1% better every single day. Go to definingdadbod.com slash betterdaily today. That's definingdadbod.com slash betterdaily.